0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Well, what a wonderful joy to be with you tonight. And thank you for taking the time and effort and energy to come. We appreciate your presence. I think we're going to have the meeting, whether you came or not. But because you came, it's a lot better. And I'm glad every one of you have chosen to be here. I'm humbled to be a small extension of Pastor Delaney's ministry for just a few minutes today and tomorrow, and to share the time with uh, treasured friends and loved ones and seeing these beautiful young people sing. I remember when they were getting checked into the nursery here and uh, years ago, and just uh, very humbling to see them. But they each represent uh, moms and dads who have loved the Lord Jesus Christ and have kept them focused upon Christ and the local church and, that's a great, great blessing. So much to say and so many emotions that come to my heart and life. I came here for the first time 29 years ago as a 22 year old young man. And I had never been uh, west of, of West Texas. And uh, I remember Brother Larry Chapel came out to Chicago. He was teaching in a summer school and he met me and he said, um, Said, so can you meet me at this hotel in South Holland, Illinois? And I want to talk to you about some things. Is Is Linda able to come with you? We came, and I'd already taught one year of school out in uh, in uh, Chicago. And uh, he said, John, we need a a school teacher and his wife to come and be with us and uh, and help us in our Christian school. It's the second year, and uh, we need some help. We've got a learning center and. And uh, he asked me if I would consider coming. And he said, we have Brother Ivar Ensminger, one of our assistant pastors, going to go start a church in the uh, in, down south and southern part of California. And he is going to start sometime this year. He oversees our bus, bus ministry. We'd like to know if you maybe can help with that when that time comes. And everything he was asking me, I just thought, goodness, that's just over my head. But I remember walking uh, all night one night in, in uh, July of uh, 1990 out behind the school and asking the Lord. And he said, now, John, we can't afford to bring you out right now. First Baptist Long Beach has always had a financial struggle. And uh, it's, it's inner city, it's downtown, challenges. And, and uh, that time it was re- very challenging. And uh, but he said, uh, he said, you need to pray about it and see if God wants you to come. And I had never been to California. The first time I came to California, I came in a Hertz Penske moving truck. And I remember seeing the the, the said a little signs at beach cities, and I thought, well, one of those hopefully is Long Beach. <laughs> so that was that was before GPS or anything of that nature. I was coming on the 10, but the Lord confirmed that morning. I woke Linda up about 5:30 that morning, and she said, "What did God tell you, John?" I said, "I think we're going to be living in California, Linda. I believe God wants us to go." Did not know how that would uh, affect the rest of my life. I had no idea. And just a young husband and uh, then found out a few weeks later that Tyler was on his way. And so Tyler would be born here in Bellflower and, and uh, would spend three wonderful years. Moved into an apartment on 4th and Coronado that the church picked out for us. We didn't even know which apartment we were. We just knew that when we came we had to bring $2,000 to that we'd saved up to put down the first month and last month. Oh, a little less than that. I think it was about sixteen. we gave to Pastor Chapel and we got into our apartment. It was a great place and just began serving Christ with the wonderful people here at First Baptist Church. And I quickly fell in love with the inner city. I quickly fell in love with this place. And I thought to myself, I had moved around uh, 17 times from the time I was born to I graduated from high school. My dad was in the military, but he had happy feet. You know, he just, just liked to move. And so we moved a lot. And so I was like determined, man, wherever I go, I'm staying there and uh, I'm going to enjoy staying there. And I could just the more it was I've never been so busy. I was busy every day doing something and meeting someone, making visits, coaching basketball, teaching school. And then Brother Ivar moved and I got the buses. And Pastor Prada had just come just a few months before I came. And he had about 45 Spanish speaking people there. and in that, in that three years I was here, that group grew to about 200 and started packing out the, uh, the chapels. And it was just fun. Got to be able to serve the Lord with the wonderful people here. And then I remember whenever I kept getting a call to be a school principal in Louisiana, I just, I told the guys, I hope you find the right guy, but I'm not your guy, thank you. And God bless you, you know? And he would say, I'm just thinking about you today. I don't know why God brings me. I said, I'm sure it's not the Lord. I know it's not the Lord. I love this church and I'm happy as I can be. And he kept calling. And then finally I met with Pastor Mark Chapel, and I said, I don't know what to do. This guy will not leave me alone. He just keeps calling me and he wants me to be a school principal. And I just, I couldn't imagine leaving this place. And um, I remember we thought, well, we'll leave on a Sunday night after church and we'll make our way, uh, go back east and go when it came time to move to Baton Rouge. And, we could not even drive out of the parking lot. Dave Oswald met us out there crying like a little girl and everybody was giving, giving, giving us gifts. We had, we had Tyler packed in inside the back of the moving truck, you know, and we gave our car to the Sims family, Jesse Sims and Marla gave her car to them. We had no car and just got in a truck and made our way out. We thought, well, we'll make, we'll make a lot of speed. We'll get, we'll get through the night and, we couldn't even get to Ontario. We couldn't even see. We are crying and like, how are we going to do this? You know, we don't want to leave. First Baptist and, and uh, wherever we're going to go, it'll be a great place, but it won't, won't be home, you know. And uh, then the Lord put us in, in Baton Rouge and so many wonderful things happened there and had the joy to be a school principal. And, and uh, then uh, I remember one day, I was, uh, it, was, uh, it was April the 18th in uh, the year 2000 i had come out here for a senior trip your kids are going to leave on monday but uh we came out on a senior trip on and uh, i called brother allen and i said brother allen do you want us to can we do something we want to do something for the church and we painted the downstairs hallway that outside the old learning center from there we painted and then we swept and and did some things there and with our seniors and and uh was here on a Wednesday night and it was just a great environment. Loved being home again, but I just didn't think twice about what was gonna take place and just came and we, we worked, we enjoyed the church. And, and at that time the church was in a difficult time between pastors, it would go 13 months without a pastor from 1999 to 2000 and it was kind of a difficult time, but but I didn't really think twice about it, just came and and uh, did not uh, preach or anything, just enjoyed the service. but. April the 18th, Brother Bob Eke called me. I was grading my high school junior and senior English papers, in my in my at my desk at my school, and was grading those, and the phone rang, and I uh, answered it, and he said, Brother Bob said, Brother uh, Wilkerson, this is Bob Eke. I said, Well, good night. How are you? And he said, Well, we're doing good. I said I said, How's Judy? And I named all the kids, and he said, Well, we're doing fine. I said, How's the church? He said, Well, it's doing okay. I said, uh, "I said, you guys get a pastor." And he says, "No, that's kind of what we're calling you." I said, "Well, I, I know some good names," and I gave him two people's names. <laughs> and uh, he said, "He said, no, but brother John, you don't understand the purpose of this call. We're not looking for your recommendation. We would like you to consider candidating. We feel like God wants you to come." I said, "Absolutely not." <laughs> I, I had preached seven times in my entire life in a church service at that point. And I remember coming, uh, thinking, there's just no way in the world. He said, well, Brother Wilkerson, we're fasting and praying, you know? So are you fasting and praying? I said, well, I'm praying. <laughs> no, I'm not fasting and praying. He said, we're we're asking the Lord to give us someone and we believe that God could let you come. I was 32 years old, had not, you know, built a hot dog stand, much less a church. And I had preached seven times, was just terrified. And I remember, Coming and uh, thinking about that, I, I went down to my. I, he said, well, listen, don't, don't make a decision now. I'll call you on Monday. We're going to pray. Will you pray? Let's see if God would help us know what to do. And, you know, Brother Bob has always been, Miss Judy and Brother Bob, always been the steady pillars of the assembly, just unbelievable servants. And Monday morning, I, my pa- I, went to, I went, left that phone call. I must have been wise a ghost. I ran down to my pastor's office and I saw the secretary, Miss Bobby Jackson. And she said, Pastor, uh, John, she said, Brother John, are you okay, did someone die? I said, maybe someone's gonna die. <laughs> I said, you need to see Pastor, don't you? I said, oh yeah, I need to see Pastor. And I went in there and I said, Pastor, I said, I don't know what to tell you, this church, you know, the one I came here from, they're asking me to consider candidating for their church. And I thought, <laughs> he said, what'd you, what'd you tell him? I said, I told him no, initially. He goes, oh good, I don't want you to leave. You need to stay right here, you know? And, <laughs> Then he said, no, I need you to, we've got to pray about this, John. I remember putting his glasses on his head, and he rubbed his eyes. He said, oh, man. He goes, I'll be out of town till Monday. I'm going to be preaching in Jacksonville, Florida. When I come back, we'll talk. And I remember that next, that, that whole week, Linda and I, I remember going home that night. Uh, Linda had food ready, and I just looked at the food, and I looked at Linda, I looked at the food, I pushed the food out, and just landed like this, my head on the floor, and I said, John, what's the matter? He goes, you're not going to believe what happened today. I got a call from Long Beach, California, and she goes, "Oh, who's some of our friends?" I said, "No, our enemies." <laughs> uh, no, they're asking us to come back, Linda. There's a potential they want us to come back, and you know, she said that would be all right. I said, "Yeah, but it's not the pastor." And she goes, "Absolutely not. I couldn't be a pastor's wife." And uh, boy, just uh, just that whole story and scenario took place. I remember sitting over here on the left side when I came to 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 interview, and um, I, they wanted me to come, but Bob said, well, you come one week, and then you come, and you, you, uh, we want to talk to you with the deacons, and then we'll fly you back, and we'll bring you back again, we can, you can, we can candidate, and I said, I can't do that. I said, our church would be so nervous if they thought I was going to leave, and might leave, but I have no plans to leave, and he said, well, okay, well, then maybe you can come in on a Thursday night and meet with the deacons, and then we'll, uh, you know, we'll... Um, We'll talk to you and then we'll call you on Saturday morning. We'll keep you down at the whole Holiday Inn, down in Anaheim and, and uh, Atlantic. And, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll call you Saturday morning if we want you to stay, fine. If you don't, we'll send you back to uh, Baton Rouge and that'll be great. I said, okay. So I remember going that Thursday night, they asked me set 37 questions. It went from seven o'clock at night till 1030 at, uh, at night. And all of them asked me lots of questions about things about the church. And I remember just uh, thinking, wow, that was a long night. And, but uh, I really wasn't trying to be the pastor, so it wasn't too hard for me. I just gave them hard answers and they seemed to like it more and more as I gave them harder answers. And I remember sitting over here, Brother Bob was sitting there, it was Sunday night, I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night. Brother Bob just leaned over to me and says, now, when did you get ordained, Brother John? I said, I've never been ordained. He said, oh, come on, quit joking around. I said, I'm serious, I, don't I never thought I'd ever be a pastor. He said, oh, no, we're supposed to ordain only uh, men or only candidate people who've already been ordained to the ministry. And Brother Bartlett was on the other side of him. And he said, I think we ought to ordain him right now. <laughs> he said he answered 37 Bible questions. I've never been to ordination council that long. I said, Brother Bartlett, I think probably my pastor would do it if I had to do it, if this happens, you know. And, and uh, I, sure enough, that's what happened. And I remember coming and And uh, the Lord did so many sweet things. It was in triage at that moment. It was a difficult time for our church family, but it was a wonderful time. And God took a mess and made a miracle. And this church is a church that is loved by God. God loves this church. He loves it, he loved it whenever it was founded in 1894 and he loves it now in uh, 2019. It's a very special church. It's a church uniquely put here by God. And I feel honored to have had 16 years as a member here. And uh, humbled to be a part of a body of believers that God has made it global in its impact. It's a church known for its longevity. You know, just not very many 125 year old churches that are still vibrant, it's known for its love. You know, by this, you'll all men know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And it's known for its labor. People work here. It's a working church. People, people don't mind working, don't mind doing things. It's, it's a place where we get, get to do that. It's a, no, a church known for its missions. It's known for its languages. Uh, it's, it's very diverse. It's a melting pot of different people from all over the world. It's known for its preaching one thing i just love i remember coming here and hearing dr larry chapel preach and boy he was a preacher just really helped us so very much and and he was a hard-headed colorado country boy that needed to be hard-headed because he had a lot of hard-headed people here that were very strong and very wealthy and uh, they would curse him when he would come to the pulpit and walk down here and they tried to light his house on fire. It was just a tough, tough time to be the pastor here. And then had three or four years of strength and then challenges. And then Brother Mark Chapel came in. And these are people that I know. I know the Brother, brother Kepner and, and Hans Finzel and Brother Bubeck, all before of them. And, uh, but uh, I remember hearing Brother Mark Chapel. I used to think, man, this guy, he's gotta be the best preacher in the whole world. Don't tell his Brother Paul about that, you know. <laughs> But uh, he was just such a great, great preacher. I remember sitting out front with a homeless man one time with Doug McMaines and it was like nine o'clock at night and I watched Brother Chapel as he witnessed to this guy. He was homeless and cried with him. He just sitting there crying and very tender hearted pastor and just a wonderful servant of Christ. And, and uh, then to get to come and then to have the opportunity to come back. And, Brother Jones was so gracious to allow me to come back in his tenure, and then Brother Delaney. I'd like to congratulate the church on uh, your 125th anniversary. You know, in 125 years, there's a lot of good years and some hard years. And if you live 125 years, you'll have the same testimony: <laughs> some strengths, or some weaknesses, some hard times, some good times, some times where things are going great, some times where things are not going so hot. But uh, what a wonderful, wonderful thing to congratulate you thank you for participating thank you for your preparation for this event and your kindness to those of us who've had a little bit of a an opportunity to be a partner with you for a little bit I'd like to also commend pastor mrs. Delaney and uh, he spoke about a little bit of the awkwardness sometimes in ministry but uh, it takes a it takes someone that has a big inner man strength to be able to invite former pastors back and staff and do that and you have to kind of get rid of some insecurities and some challenges. You know, one of the challenges of anyone who would follow someone beloved is that, you know, it's like, well, Pastor Wilkerson doesn't do that or he didn't do that or so-and-so didn't do that or that's not the same way. And sometimes I've heard people say, you know, someone's gonna roll over in their grave if they hear how you've done this, you know, I just say, put them on a rotisserie. <laughs> 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 because, They're going to just keep rolling over, you know, because it's a different world. I'm a different person. Uh, You know, all those comparisons are challenging to uh, to deal with. But I congratulate you and I thank and I commend you and Miss Amanda for your wonderful spirit and your heart for the Lord. I commend your children. Thank God for Gabe and Ethan and your sweet daughter and and Jesse. What a wonderful, wonderful family that God's given you and a great model for this church ministry. A church is a very special thing. Church is, church is amazing. I love a local church. God gave three things in our life so we could be strong. Number one, he gave us his word. And if you're, if you're a strong Christian, it's because you're a Bible Christian that you've got a relationship with the scriptures. Number two, he gave us his spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's that dwells inside of us. And then number three, he gave us his body the local church. If you ever see a strong Christian, you're gonna see someone committed to the scriptures, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and very involved and engaged in the body of Christ. It's vital, it's so important. Now the truth is, the Word of God, there's nothing wrong with it, you can't change it. Let it change you. The Holy Spirit, He's God's Spirit, He's he's perfect. The church is not perfect. If you ever find a perfect church, don't join it, you'll mess it up, okay? You're not going to find a perfect church. A church is a a body of believers. Our head is perfect, Jesus. But from the pastor on down, we got issues. We got problems. But it's necessity. It's a necessity. You know, everybody who gets saved gets saved directly or indirectly because of a local church. If you're saved, it's because somewhere, someplace, a church, somebody was faithful to the church. Someone gave to the church, someone bought a gospel tract, somebody opened up the doors, turned the light on, did something, Uh, everybody gets saved through, directly or indirectly by a local church. It's a big deal. And to make a big deal of the church, and I love the church because there's three things a church ought to do every time you come. Number one, ought to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I I don't know, I know that sometimes we can go days without thinking of Jesus. But I, I want every service and on purpose. I oftentimes think about this and I want to draw my heart to the Lord Jesus. He needs to be in the radar of my mind every service, every day. And the Apostle Paul said that I might know him. He said, for me to live is, to die is gain. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, you know I, but Christ liveth in me. Every church ought to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, it ought to be a place where not only is God's Son is exalted, but God's word is heard. Because faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And only by faith we can please the Lord. It ought to be a place too, where God's love is felt. God's Son is exalted, God's word is heard, God's love is felt. And I believe that has been the history of First Baptist. God has made this place a place where Jesus is exalted where god's word has been heard by different preachers with different styles it doesn't really matter it matters so much and more about let's communicate what the bible says give me sound doctrine give it to me straight tell me what the bible says give it to me what the scriptures say because that's where faith is generated and then of course it ought to be a place where love is felt and I love this church for so many reasons. And let, thank you for letting me walk down. I would like to say our church is known by its leaders. You know, in Costa Rica, there's a guy named Ed Bordell. Everything Ed Bordell touches turns to souls. He's a soul winner. And I love that about him. Pastor Parada has been used of the Lord in a wonderful way to reproduce so many wonderful servants of Christ, even Brother Andy next to him. Uh, Brother uh, Rodrigo Garcia in Crawfordsville, Carlos Garcia in Mexico and the Southern part of that, all over the world, wonderful servants of Christ. And I think about so many others, Brother John Lutka, he's in our book and just, they've got vibrant churches, wonderful people and uh, thankful for the leadership that you have produced. And I owe so much when I left on Wednesday night to church One of the deacons said, to he came up to me at First Baptist Hammond. He says, if you get a chance, tell that church family there in Long Beach, thank you for what they did to help you become what you needed to be for us when we got here. Thank you for allowing allowing that church to love you to the place that you could love us when it came time. And I'm so thankful. We have a very grateful church. They love you and appreciate the opportunity to be with you. If you have your Bibles, turn to, if you would please, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'll do my best to be as brief as possible. One guy got up and said, I've got so much to say, I don't know where to start. One little third grader helped him in the back, said, start somewhere toward the end. (laughs) And uh, maybe you would like give that same suggestion today. One fellow, he was preaching and preaching and a lady brought her husband for the first time. He's an older gentleman, didn't really care too much for church. And, but uh, he came because his wife wanted to come and the preacher kept on going on and on and on and, on. and in closing and in closing and in closing, he just never could close. He couldn't land the plane. And the old man finally said, you know, honey, I can't take it. I'm getting up, I'm getting out of here. She said, no, that'll be so embarrassing. Just stay, he's almost done. I'm sure he's almost done. They said, all right, I'll give him about five more minutes, but if he's not done, I'm getting up. Sure enough, he wasn't done. And the old man stood up, started walking out. The pastor got a little fired up, said, hey, sir, hey, hey where are you going? He said, I'm going to go get a haircut. He said, a haircut? You should have got a haircut before he came in here. He said, Pastor, I didn't need a haircut before I came in here. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll try to keep from having a haircut just for a few moments here. 1 Timothy chapter 3, of course, the book of 1 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul humanly through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, a letter written to his young protege Timothy, and he tells him he's, he's in jail. He's probably in his first imprisonment in Rome, he's in jail again, and, and it's not looking good, and one thing you're, when you're in jail, one thing you're uncertain about is when you're getting out. And he did not know when he was going to be released. And he was hoping to get out and be able to go and meet Timothy on his place. He would asked him to stay at Ephesus and to charge some in that church that they teach no other doctrine. So I need you to stay there at Ephesus. He didn't want to stay there. Paul had to beg him, I besought thee. I pleaded with you, stay at Ephesus and watch the doctrine. Because doctrine determines destiny. What you believe determines where you end up. And he's, that's one of the number one uh, decisions and responsibilities for a, a local church pastor and the church is to, to protect and propagate the truth. Make sure because doctrine determines where you're, you're, you're going to end up in the end. And he says, I want you to stay there. And, but he says, if I can't get to you, I want to write you this letter and he tells him why he wanted him to write it, why he wanted it to accomplish in six, in six chapters. And let's look at verse number 15, if you would, please. Verse 14, the Bible says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. Would you read verse 13? Excuse me, verse 15 with me. Are you ready? But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, It's a big deal. The church is a big deal. It's the pillar and ground of truth. Verse number 16, the Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Let's pray together. Father, please, I pray, help me, Lord, to exercise wisdom and sensitivity to your Holy Spirit as I have a chance to speak to our sweet friends for a few moments. Some, this is where they come every service now. Others, they're coming from other churches in our local area and some from across the world. I do pray for just a few moments you would sanctify these moments. Help me to say something that could be a challenge and encouragement. Thank you for a pastor, Lord, who loves the church and not only loves it for what it can do today and what it will do in years to come, but what it has done. Pray you please help me in Jesus' name. Amen. The whole book is written so you will know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And there are some behavioral responsibilities that all of us have in the work of the Lord. That's not my message tonight to share with you all of those. I'll tell you briefly what I believe in 1 Timothy that God is telling Timothy through the Apostle Paul. In chapter 1, he says, I want you to protect and propagate the truth. Keep getting the gospel out. He said, don't, if, you're, if, you're a good, if you'll keep the brethren in remembrance of these things, you'll become a good minister of Jesus Christ. And I would say to every teacher, every pastor, every church leader, don't get bored with the basics. Yeah. Continue to remind people of what we have already heard, and then which you fully attain. That means live it and preach it. Amen. Keep the gospel pure. Keep the doctrine sound. He says, number one... Protect and propagate the doctrine. Chapter two, make prayer a priority. Make prayer a priority. Sometimes you're not careful, we'll say, my house should be called a house of preaching. But really, the house of God, in Jesus' opinion, should be a house of prayer. Now, preaching needs to happen, and it's very important for faith to be fostered. But also, it ought to be a reality in my life as an individual, your life as an individual, and in our church, that prayer is very common. Not uncommon for us to just, I'd love to hear your pastor pray tonight. It's obvious that he's done that a few times alone in private with God. I really, I really was blessed by it. And hear him talk to the Father and ask the Lord for purpose and things that, that have come from his heart. But listen, I need to have the house of God should be a house of prayer. He said, I would that first of all, that prayer, making prayer a priority. Chapter 3, he says, Timothy, you need to train pastors and train those who will help their pastors he says you've got to you've got to spiritually reproduce keep on telling others about christ listen if you and i do not win the loss we'll die by attrition god tells us if you're going to be an obedient christian you ought to get the gospel to somebody else he said listen you've got to train pastors there's no success without successors you have to be training. The local church is someone who is an institution where we ought to win the lost, disciple the saved, and train the disciple. Chapter four, he says, I want you to be a good example. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example to believers. Because our sermon whispers, but our life shouts. It doesn't matter how good of a preacher you may be. If your life is a lie, people wouldn't walk across the street to hear you. You get frustrated with that. I don't, if I don't trust someone, I don't want to hear what they have to tell me. I always will sift at most everything they say if I don't trust them. And you know what makes me trust people? What makes you trust me and me trust you is our testimony, Mm -hmm. our example. Sometimes people can't hear what we're saying because our life is too loud. Mm -hmm. Chapter five is how to treat God's people, relationships and rules and responsibilities. Chapter six is making sure that we uh, manage our finances with wisdom. But I want to just talk to you just for a few moments. And then I love verse 16 of that passage because it revolves around the person of Jesus. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I'm going to give you five things. I hope I can give them to you quickly. I put them in a little bit of acrostic. F, B, C, L, B. And I want to be a little bit of an acrostic. and There's just five things I want to share with you that I think that we ought to function as a mental uh, responsibility. Here's what I need to do. Here's how I need to behave myself. Here's behavioral responsibilities in regards to the local church. Once again, church is not perfect. uh, But it is a place that if you're going to be vibrant for God, you start missing church and you're going to be a train wreck looking for a place to happen. You're going to get lost out there. God didn't call you a lion, tiger, or bear. Oh my. No, He made us a sheep. And sheep are never okay one-on-one with the wilderness. They become lunch. Sheep need to be together. They need to be they need to be there with the shepherd. And that's how we're most productive. But what are some behavior responses? Number one, I want to give you the first one. And that is to be faithful to the meetings of the church. To, to be fervent, be faithful to the meetings of the church. Listen, when there's a Sunday night service, a Sunday morning service, when there is a missions conference or a revival service or a Saturday night service, I'm talking to the choir here, but be faithful. If there's a youth activity, be there. Whatever the meetings are of the church, be faithful to the meetings of the church. Say, Pastor, I want to behave myself right in the house of God. Number one, get yourself there. Your presence and your participation are the most valuable things that you can bring to a church. Get yourself there, provide your presence, be holy, and there's other things we can bring, but be present and participating. So many folks are just so good at spectating. Sometimes a local church, you've heard me say this before, is like a college football team and a game. You know, there's 80,000 people who can exercise watching 22 guys need a break. <laughs> Sometimes that can happen in a church. Get yourself there. Be faithful to the meetings of the church. And we live in a day where I tell you, friends, it's embarrassing how little commitment people have to the church. They won't miss a baseball game for their kids. They won't miss a soccer practice. They won't miss a dental appointment. They won't miss this and that and the other. But church, I'll take you to leave it. And it shows where we are with God. And if you want to behave yourself wisely and purposely in the house of God, be faithful to the meetings of our church. I am so thankful to see people. There are people you can set your clock by them. You know where they're going to be. I don't know. I don't say, I wouldn't say thousands, but I think hundreds of hours in my 13 years of being a pastor here, I have walked this auditorium. I've walked it and thought about people because I know where everybody sits because we're creatures of habit. Kind of know. And now I walk the services of the building of First Baptist of Hammond. And it's a little bigger, I'm not getting the exercise, I'm growing in the Lord here. (laughs) Some of you are so kind to point it out, God bless you. And God bless you. Really, I'm allergic to food. When I eat it, I swell. (laughs) I need to do a little more walking in my church, what I'm saying. But nonetheless, I, I have oftentimes, but I'm so grateful to go through the auditorium and begin thinking of people that are faithful, day in, day out. Adina Regano, she's always talking right there on the fourth row. <laughs> I remember the night her husband got saved, it was a glorious day. I remember one morning he, he wanted to come so bad, he had, a, he had cancer and he, after he got saved, he showed up he was a, from Italy, Roman Catholic. And, he came down here and sat down in the sec, right here in the front row and I was preaching away. He got so much pain on his, he had bladder, I think bladder cancer, I'm not sure, but whatever it was, he, he got so uncomfortable right in the middle of the service, he stood up. It wasn't terribly distractive, I think he was all about five foot one or so, so he's just a little guy. Huh? Five foot? Thank you very much for that, I appreciate it. I knew I could count on you, Dina, to help me with that. But he stood up real quickly and stood up in the middle of the service. I looked over there and thought he was okay. And he sat down and, and he had just gotten saved on Friday night and came. And, and then he stood in the back and when he saw people get baptized, it just tore him up. He told Bill Wynn, he goes, I'm going to do that. I need to go do that. And for a Roman Catholic to get baptized in a Baptist church, you know he'd gotten saved on Friday night. You don't that. And he said, you can't do it right now. You have a catheter and you can't do that right now. You're not going to be able to do that. He goes, well, I'll come back and do it. He never did get to come back to church. There's only one and done. But I remember that story. But I remember where they were sitting. I was thinking about those things. But how thankful I am for people that year in, year out, week in, week out. If we got a meeting, they're going to be there. And if they're not going to be there, they call and tell their superior. We're not, hey, I can't make it. We got this thing. And by the way, that's going to happen. But boy, exercise some accountability. Be faithful to the meetings of the church. Number two, I would say if we're going to behave ourselves in the house of God, we ought to be bonded to the members of our church. It's a great thing to have members of the church. I remember, I'll never forget it. I don't think I'll ever forget it unless I get Alzheimer's, and then I then I might forget everything. But I remember getting that call at 2.39 in the morning from the San Jose coroner's office at Tyler's with the Lord. And I remember walking. I was thinking to Linda, what are we going to do? It's Saturday morning. What do we normally do? I didn't go to the men's prayer that morning, but I came to the Victory Club. And all of us got in the van, and, we, and me and Linda and seven of our kids, and we walked. Brother Prada met us at the door in the breezeway. And he said, Pastor, the church is here. And. Uh, I don't want you to worry about the church, I ever talked to the church, don't worry about the funeral and the expenses. We got this. He said, your family can come from wherever they want to come to we'll take care of them. You're a pastor, we love Tyler, we love you. And we're OK, we got this. And I remember him taking me and meeting me and turning the turn into the Knights Chapel, the building was standing room only many of you were there. And. I got to see the members of our church. Got to see the love and the care. And, and I'm just one time, but that's been done over and over again. When, I remember when Helen Bushrod lost her husband David Wednesday night, everybody jumped in. Challenges of that. I remember, I can't help but think about Brother Jim Allen. What a wonderful servant of Christ a man that probably is the unsung hero for two, uh, three different seasons of our ministry. Think about Gail Vargo, her service right here. Think about Brother Peter Boomakad just a few weeks ago to see his boy sing tonight, his lovely wife sing. You can see there's some intestinal fortitude that's there, some strong strength, love for the Lord. But I want to bond with the members of our church. I don't want to just be casual. I want to love you. You got to love each other. Listen, you know, Jesus, Apostle Paul told the church at Philippi, hey, you odious and Syntyche, you two girls over there, called them out in the middle of the service. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Quit fooling around. Some of you, it's how someone else scratches their head, gets on your nerves. Knock it off. <laughs> Grow up and bond yourself to the members of the church. Say you know what? This is my church. These are my people. A church isn't a building; it's not a denomination. It's people that God puts in a place that we are in love. And if I'm going to be behave myself right, number one, I've got to be faithful to its meetings. I've got to be bonded to its members. Number three, I need to be committed to its minister. If you'll, be, if you'll, it's easy for me to talk about this now, but there's a lot more distance between there and around this pulpit than most people understand. I had the joy to serve on staff of this ministry, and I sat on the other side of the pastor's desk. And when I had to sit on the other side of that desk, I had no idea that the devil hates pastors. He hates ministers. His strategy is to attack the shepherd and scatter the sheep. And no one knows the load that your pastor carries. No one knows the, the load that Miss Amanda carries. No one knows what it's like to see you and to see your smile and get your note and to feel your embrace and to see that Pastor, we're with you. You don't know what it's like when you don't show up to church and he knows, a shepherd knows. You may not be able to calculate everybody, but I think on every Sunday morning, even in our church with thousands of members, I can tell if someone was there or not. But oh, you ought to get a burden in a special way to be committed to the minister of the church. And I'm not, the pastor's not asking me to do this. This is not something he would ever ask me to do. But you ought to love your pastor. You ought to learn your pastor. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter five to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and labor with them. I think there's there's four things you ought to do for your pastor and his wife. Number one, you ought to learn them. This church family, and you did such a wonderful job in my 13 years as your pastor, you understood me. I didn't do everything right, I did a lot of things wrong. It's embarrassing how many mistakes I made as your pastor. But you you learned me, you forgave me when I did wrong, when I didn't make the right decision, you, you helped me through that time. But boy, as a pastor, a pastor needs to be learned. He needs to, he's like, you know, he's not Pastor Jones. Pastor Jones wasn't Pastor Wilkerson. Pastor Wilkerson wasn't Brother Mark Chapel, and he wasn't Brother Larry Chapel, and he wasn't Hans Fenzel or Brother Bubeck or Brother Kepner. We're all very different vessels. We're just instruments that God gave. But our job as church members to behave ourselves is to learn our pastor, to labor with our pastor. If he's got it, you know, it's kind of pastor's job is to dream dreams. Our job is to help the dreams come true. God gives a man a vision. A pastor is someone who can only and he can can fight for the church. He's the only one who has to fight some of those battles. He has to set the, the pace and the vision for the church. He has to govern and watch the church and pastors struggle with loneliness. Pastors sometimes struggle with inadequacies. If they could get a good pastor, then maybe they could do something here. Fight with satanic opposition. Say, no, not my pastor. He's always up. No, he's not. He's got some issues, and he's got satanic banging away, attacking the shepherd, attacking him. He can't get him. He'll get his wife. He can't get the wife. He'll get the kids. Something's going on all the time. Because a healthy pastor is a healthy flock. A godly pastor can help produce godly. You cannot produce something you're not. Love your pastor, learn your pastor, labor with your pastor, and lift your pastor and his family. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about how to behave yourself in the house of God. Are you a leech? You know, sometimes I'm happy when people walk in the room. Sometimes I'm happy when they walk out. What you need to be is someone say, you know what, I'm here to pour help, not to sap strength. And those of you who don't go to First Baptist Church of Long Beach, you be a blessing to your pastor, wherever you are, grow where you're planted, and decide, you know what, I am going to help that pastor. We ought to be faithful to its meetings. We ought to be bonded to its members. We ought to be committed to its pastor. I would say also that we ought to be laboring in its mission. I just want to say to you, friend, every saint ought to be a soul winner. See, so what's the mission of the church? Oh, I tell you what, I love your playground. What a beautiful playground. I love your shuttle and I hope you get another shuttle this year. That'll be good. Thank God for the building and for the beauty. And under the ministry of Pastor Jones, so many aesthetic things are done and, and great things have happen. And I thank God for that. But you know, the truth of the matter is uh, the mission of the church is not a building. A building's a tool. It's not a program. It is getting another soul to Jesus, and helping that soul grow in Jesus. When you win people to Christ, you cover a multitude of sins. I think have just precious people in this room, and I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody, but I remember when I first met them, it was terrible. Difficult. Sin and drugs and alcohol and challenges. And now there is peace and joy and prosperity, and kids are graduating from college, Bible college, serving the Lord. Hey, that's where it's at. But be, be and, and, and let God help you. Be laboring into this mission. Don't be a spectator. I don't think there's a Bible verse that says, Well done, thou good and faithful spectator. <laughs> be a participant. Make a good thing better. So, well, pastor, I'm not the pastor. Well, make a good thing better. Provide your presence, your participation and labor to its mission. And we'll talk maybe more about that tomorrow. Last thing, real quickly. So it'll be faithful to its meetings. Bonded to its members. Committed to its minister. Laboring in its mission. Are you giving the gospel to somebody? You discipling someone? Who? Who? You know, every one of us ought to have somebody we're helping to grow in Jesus. Well, no, no, Pastor, I, I tell you what, I'm in church Sunday morning, wonderful. Give yourself a cookie or a medal, but that's not where it stops. You need to be talking to someone about Jesus personally. Pastor can't win everybody to the Lord, he shouldn't. You should be doing that. You should be laboring the mission. If there's something going on, you say, you know, what can I do to help you? Ever, you ever, I've, I've done 430 funerals. You may not be, want to be a member of our church, you might die, you know. <laughs> But in 19 years of being a pastor, I've done 430 funerals, and I've oftentimes seen people, I've even carried caskets with people who didn't have enough pallbearers there. Every once in a while you see me and people are struggling, man. I didn't know Aunt Gertrude was this heavy, you know. But then you got a couple guys struggling, you got a couple guys going, boy, she's not that heavy. You know what? Sometimes the church is like that. Just glad. I'm glad someone's teaching those kids. Maybe you ought to do that. Well, it's a good offering. I don't know who gave this. Week. Did you? We're just not you see all the people saved and there are not many people being baptized. Well, what are you doing about it, Spanky? <laughs> Go find somebody and tell them about Jesus. Labor in its mission. And then lastly, I would say this. We ought to believe in its master. Believe in its master. I don't know who is here tonight and... But without faith, it's impossible to please him. We need to get a real relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is who he said he was and is who he is, then he's our life. He's not your hobby. He's your life. And when he's paramount, when he's the Lord of glory, you'll treat people right. You'll grow up. You won't be a little baby and getting offended at all kinds of things when he's where he's supposed to be. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing nothing will offend them. Nothing stops them. They'll continue to keep going. Why? Because they love the law. Who is the law? Who is the word? It's Jesus. I want to encourage you to believe in the master of the church. You're not the master. I'm certainly not the master of First Baptist of Hammond. He's not the master First Baptist of Long Beach. No, our master's far over, Pastor Wilkerson. Far over, Pastor Delaney. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to make much of him. I'm, a, I'm, I'm also sensitive, just real quickly, there may be some friends here tonight and he's not your savior. You're not saved. If you were to die today, you're not sure you'd go to heaven. I remember being like that. I was sitting in this section of an auditorium on a Sunday night, not this room, but one like it, back over there. And the pastor said, if you're not sure if you gonna die or you'd go to heaven, you ought to raise your hand. I raised my hand. Later that night, someone took the Bible and showed me how I could be saved. And that night I met a wonderful master. I met him and he took my sin and I took his son. I, I accepted a free pardon instead of my fair trial that I was looking terribly afraid of. Now I'm going to heaven. I was going to hell. Then I was with my sin. Now I have his son. If you're here tonight, you're not sure. You said, Pastor, I don't even know why I'm here at this anniversary service. I just got someone invite me to come. Maybe you're here because you need to meet Jesus. He loves you. Don't leave life without him. You can leave this room without him. Take your chances, but don't leave life without him. That'd be the most horrible mistake. The greatest mistake in the world is to go to hell over a mistake. Make sure you know you have everlasting life. Could I encourage you, First Baptist Church of Long Beach? Let's be faithful to the meetings. Let's be bonded to the members. Love them, pray for them, work with them, serve them, help them. Let's be committed to our minister. Let's make sure that we all, that we all ought to do. We are, we're laboring in the mission. And then let's be let's be especially believing in our Master. Let's pray together, can we?